Who knows what Jay-Z, J.K. Rowling, Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey all have in common? Okay, I will tell you then. They have all overcome failure in one shape or form to go on to gain success in their respective careers. Welcome to My Perfect Failure. Join us as we delve into the world of our perfect failures. We will interview, explore, and discuss how our perfect failures can lead us to success. Join us and tune in. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of My Perfect Failure. Today, we have another amazing guest. Working in national newspapers, he first wondered why newspapers were considered poor value for money, yet people would pay a higher price for a cup of coffee. Despite this change in marketplace, with the growing trend for quality food and drink that was well sourced, it was confusing to him that tea, our national drink, was not part of this shift towards quality. Curious that better tea must exist, he decided to find out. Industry reports from the British Library were researched to investigate an appetite for specialist teas. So after weekends in shopping centres, quizzing everyone with a coffee cup in their hand, what about tea? He began the long quest to source better tea. His specialist tea company, Chash, officially was born in 2010. So a warm welcome to my perfect failure, Dan Rook. How are you, Dan? I'm very well. How are you doing, Paul? I'm, 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 very, I'm very well, actually. I kind of like said beforehand that I've all prepped, ready to go, excited for this episode. Yeah. I've got a cup of tea, but it's not one of yours. So I'm noticed. I'm noticing. So, so everybody listening, I've actually had the opportunity to sample Dan's chash tea. Amazing. So I'm, I'm sort of. I would be better if I had one of your cup of tea. <laughs> so, so that that's the only. That's if I've got a quibble. That's the only quibble I've got at this stage. <laughs> Can I use it as a testimonial? <laughs> Sorry, you can. You can actually. You can. I think you, you can because I've sampled the tea, and it's, you know what, is it's funny actually because you we've obviously spoken beforehand, and you've sort of given me some insights into tea, and you know, the teas that we sort of, I guess, we generally all have as our staple offering when we go shopping and whatnot. Mm. And then you've given me some education around what makes a good cup of tea, what we should be looking for, that type of thing. So when, so I, you gave me all these these insights before actually I sampled your tea. So actually you you raised the bar. So there, so if it didn't deliver, <laughs> I'd have been ringing you up saying, Dad, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> all that science you gave me, you know, what are you talking about? But you know what? You probably you probably could have laid laid it on even thicker, because when I actually sampled the tea, it is actually quality. I just wanted it to go on, which you know, for people listening, you definitely have to check out Dan's website and whatnot. We'll get into that as we get into the episode because the tea you do notice a definite, you know, like a a, a um yeah a definite shift in terms of the quality. And I and I'm and I'm a man that probably drinks probably four or five cups of tea a day maybe more some days <laughs> anyway anyway Thank enough you. enough of paul's rambling let's get into this episode so dan thank you for putting some of your time aside to appear on my perfect failure um no, thanks for asking me no no i'm I'm really pleased to have you on this uh episode so 
This episode is called Dan Rook and the Birth of Chash T. So we're going to get into the birth of Chash T. Sort of, you know, we can lead up to that. But it, in the first instance, Dan, maybe you can give myself and the, the listeners a little bit of a background on who Dan is. Yeah, of course. Um, so my background prior to setting up Chash had nothing to do with tea whatsoever. Um, nothing to do with drinks even. Uh, I was in a totally different industry. I spent about 13 years working in national press. And that was my background in newspapers. Um, but I was working in an, in an industry which, when I joined, was very exciting and dynamic and well-regarded. And it was a real joy to work in an industry which um, had that level of respect, but also one that had provided over many, many years such a public good. Uh, and people recognised the contribution that newspapers made to society and to British life. And regrettably, during my time in the industry, that level of respect was being eroded and the erosion was accelerating. And it got to the point where it was an industry that was no longer motivating and exciting me. And I guess we'll probably go into the details further in, but I reached the point where I realised that for my own sanity almost, I needed to make a move somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's interesting. So was it just around the industry or do you think that you were outgrowing the the industry as well? Yeah, that's a really clever insight. And you're right. It obviously was a combination of both of those things. It was what was happening internally within the industry itself. Um, but you're quite right. It was also about my own personal journey mm. i felt that my growth and development had stagnated and i was ostensibly doing a role that was not that dissimilar to the one that i was doing 13 yeah. years earlier just with bigger numbers yeah. and more prestigious client book and that alone was never enough to motivate me um you know, learning and being challenged has always been really important. And I definitely reached a point where I almost felt a bit of a fraud in a strange way. And I've got enough um, idea of being able to see that externally to realise that that sounds a strange claim. It's almost counterintuitive. You'd think the longer you're in an industry, the less fraudulent you'd feel. But it had become something that was not that challenging. Yeah. And I, um, I just felt that I was not evolving and developing uh, intellectually. I wasn't being stimulated and challenged. Um. And after a lot of thought, I realized that it was unlikely that I would find that if I just moved into an adjacent industry like TV or radio. Um, I, I sort of realized fairly quickly that I needed 
to make a real departure and do something totally different. Um, almost masochistically to, to deliberately make it difficult, you know, to start at yeah. the beginning, at the bottom and have to go through that learning curve. That's interesting because I guess actually, can I just go back to one point when you say yeah. about feeling like a fraud what do you mean by that just just so i understand um i guess it's obviously a fairly complex thing to answer it's it's multifaceted but certainly one of the predominant features of that was even though the industry was <clears throat> shrinking fast and losing a lot of its prestige Externally, it was still quite a well-regarded industry to work in. Yeah. And, you know, it was quite well-renumerated. Um, we were well looked after, you know, the benefits, the holiday and all that kind of thing was very attractive. And it was quite a comfortable existence. Um, and... I think maybe I almost felt that it was a bit too easy and I was coasting. Yeah. Uh, and so that starts making you feel like a bit of a fraud because you've got what the outside world looks like quite a cushy little number. You're aware enough to recognise there's lots of people in the world who are far less fortunate than you are. So why are you feeling unfulfilled? Why is this not enough for you when it's clearly more than many other people have yeah and that's that juxtaposition that's quite difficult to accept because you know that you're quite lucky but equally you can't deny and the word that i often used was nourished uh i didn't feel as if i was being nourished by the yeah. job i get that and there's almost been a fraud to yourself or ourselves yeah yeah when we're doing something which actually is great because or on the face of it is great because yeah. it's a steady job, you know, well rewarded. I don't know in that industry, there's a lot of networking. There's a lot of perks that come along the way. Mm. If you want them as you get, yeah. as you get a bit older, they become less attractive, but certainly yeah. when you're young in the industry, all the perks and whatnot that you get, the celebrities and everything, everything else associated is wonderful, but we just get older. Don't we? We evolve. We become wiser and we just become, you know, our wants and needs change. And if we're just doing yeah. the same thing that we were doing, you know, when we were in our mid twenties or, or whatever it is, then I, your word, which I, which I, which I think is fantastic, nourished definitely encapsulates that we need to be more nourished. We need to taste something different. Mm. Okay. And also something that maybe this might resonate in terms of chat team. The, the wonderful business that you started but when we're in big national papers as you were pretty much somebody else sets the agenda of what the yes what the, what the game plan is this is the way that we're going to play this is Absolutely. the style that we're going to exist that we're going to go with and you guys need to fit into this position you need to fit in this position and you, you don't really have much you know personal and professional autonomy you just Absolutely. have to deliver the core yeah functions that that yeah. role has was that a frustration as well 
I think you know me better than I know myself, Paul. <laughs> uh, you've hit the nail squarely on the head. That's that's exactly right. And I used to sort of half jokingly say to colleagues that if I was hit by a bus on Tuesday, nobody would even notice until Thursday yeah. because you're a very small cog in a very big wheel. And you're right, it's quite um, shackling because, and this is not to criticise necessarily the management structure, because I recognise that those practices and procedures are in place for reasons. Um, but there was a total absence of genuine responsibility. I obviously had responsibility. I was actually managing a um, very large multi-million pound budget and I had targets to hit and obviously I was measured against those targets and needed to reach them. So there was responsibility, but um, it was it was responsibility that was still overarched by other people's responsibilities. And as you rightly point out, you have very little say in the direction. And so your ability to shape the future is almost non-existent. It becomes very much a perfunctory day-to-day, week-to-week yeah. experience without the opportunity to put any input into the long-term development. And <laughs> you're right, you, you, you know me very well. That That's where that feeling of frustration of not developing and growing was coming from, was because the role was... Um, you always had an immediate hurdle yeah. to negotiate and you were never offered the opportunity to look at something longer term. And towards the end of my time there, I did have these sorts of conversations with my superiors asking if there were opportunities for me to almost shape and create a new role. And I don't resent them at all for the fact that they said it just wasn't possible because mm. that's how large organisations work. You know, this is your job description and you need to follow that job description and eking out a new role for one guy in a department of 125 people. I recognise that that's not always possible. And also, even if they, I'm just thinking about their position, even if they got it, they understood where you're coming from and actually they sympathise with it. And uh, oh, they did. I, there was real genuine understanding okay. that this guy needs more. He needs something yeah. different. He needs a challenge. And, you know, the conversations went on for a while. Um, and ultimately they decided that they weren't able to, to give something that I wanted, but yeah, it was all perfectly amicable. I totally understood yeah. the rationale for their position it's just unfortunately in life sometimes uh two people's objectives don't match and fit yeah totally and i guess what they may have thought is if we modify this for dan that i might have a few more people knocking, knocking on my door it's like precisely can yeah. i you know we you know what you did for dan <laughs> look at this i put this together can i yeah and again i i readily accepted that yeah. and be like well what makes him so special yeah you know what why has he got this but I'm not, to be honest, I'm not, I almost think that organisations like that, because <coughs> I've worked in a pretty much similar business to you, so I kind of mm. I get the 
I get sort of the dynamic and sort of the, your experiences. But it's almost, there almost needs to be sort of a shift in roles need to be more flexible in terms of yeah. what, you know, obviously there'd be a core function, but I think it'd be nice if there's a degree of, you can put some of your own personality and ideas into a role that's part of the remit because it just makes it more enjoyable for us as individuals. But I think actually for the business, I think they just, they get far more from employees and not everybody will want to jump on it, but I think you'll get a core of your, your employees that will flourish at the opportunity to grow and develop. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a trade off, isn't it? When you work for a large organization, you know, ev- any business and indeed the same rules apply to the state as well. The bigger the organization, the less flexible it can be. Mm. Even if there's yeah. a determination yeah. internally that it wants to be, it's so much more difficult because it's all about scale. Um, but I had also worked for a smaller newspaper during that 13 year period. Predominantly, it was working for uh, the big boys, the, the national titles. But I did also spend a bit of time in a small organization and there was a degree of more autonomy. But I still felt it wasn't enough for me to go out there and try to fail at something and see where it took me. Yeah. I was still ultimately beholden to parameters that the organization operated under. Uh, and it was quite a strange sensation because I hadn't, I certainly wasn't one of these people who, you know, was running uh, a sweet shop in the school playground. Yeah. I yeah. never considered myself an entrepreneur. I'd never really thought about running my own business. I'd very much been, um, almost fashioned, if you like, to be one of those people who gets what on the outside looks like a good, solid, steady job at a large organisation that provides you with stability and security and a bit of career progression. Um, So I didn't start out with the intention of I need to run my own business, but when I decided that I needed to have a change, um, it didn't take me too long before I realised that... (laughs) When all the other options have been exhausted and you're left, that's the only one standing. It's like, well, okay, then (laughs) evidently running my own business is what I need to do, even though I didn't realize it. Yeah. And it's, I guess, quite interesting how that unfolds and you get, because sometimes everything has to, all the pieces of the puzzle have to be used. And then you just get left with the one, the key to it all, which Mm. was, running your own business and going on this journey, which everyone's going to hear about in a second. Yeah. And without, without you having the the foresight to push your own agenda in terms of what felt important to you and how you wanted to be nourished, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have gone through this amazing journey. Mm-hmm. So m- maybe you can tell about how you, how that shift happened. What would, what mm-hmm. were the sort of the mechanics of the shift from a national press to, Chash T. Yeah. Um, so I genuinely started off just with blank pieces of paper. And on my commute to and from the office every day, I would just sort of sit there and gaze out the window of the train thinking about, well, what can I do? Because I, ge- I genuinely, like I said, this wasn't 
something I had planned. Um, and I think I was probably motivated by three different things. The first one, we sort of touched upon the collapse of the industry that I was working in um, and we were just managing decline. And so clearly I was motivated by finding an industry that was moving in the opposite direction. Mm. So something that was ripe for growth and development. I thought, you know, that was what I would need in order to sustain my enthusiasm over what was clearly going to be a difficult beginning um, in terms of the growth and the development that I was looking for. Um, that would be a lot more attractive and interesting if it was in an industry that was ripe for change. Um, I also was motivated to find an industry that, um, in in the same sense that National Press had um, <clears throat> provided a public good, something that was a benefit to people that would, you know, genuinely make a um, an improvement to their day. And there's no um, false understanding of how important what I do is. You know, I'm, I'm not a brain surgeon. I'm not, I'm not saving people's lives. Um, but the strap line for the for the business is if tea makes everything better, shouldn't we be drinking better tea? Yeah. So the idea being that you're just making a small improvement somebody's day, as you mentioned in the intro, that, you know, you were drinking it and you wanted the, the cup yeah, to carry yeah. on. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, so I just wanted to get into a new industry and and be that idiot who know, knew nothing so that I, I would have to fast track my learning and get my teeth into something. Um, so after acknowledging that that was the motivation, I was still staring at lots of blank pieces of paper. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be when, when the tubes then, are up and running. I'm going to be looking out for all those people that have got <laughs> blank pieces of paper. Now. <laughs> I'm going to be peering over to see whether I can nick any of them. They might have some, yeah. There will be some gems flying around. Yeah, if they're rabbling away on a scrap of paper, it's probably because they've just had a good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you sort of alluded to it in the intro that um, the the germ for all of this was um, the coffee industry. Yeah. Because like so many other people, I was sort of subconsciously aware of this explosion of a total revolution in the coffee industry. Um you know, coffee shops are springing up left, right and centre. They were charging two or three times more than coffee shops had done previously. And now all of a sudden they had a menu and, you know, it was an Americano, flat white, yeah. cortado, espresso. Um, and it just struck me as interesting that, yeah. at first. There's a market that's just been totally rejuvenated Um and of course, this was in the days when uh, you'd go away for a week and you'd come back home and there'd be a new Starbucks and a new Costa on the corner of your street. You know, it was just exploding. So um, what sort of timeline are we talking? What sort of time? So this have? would have been about 2007. Okay. Um, and so then from there, being ever curious, my next question was, why is this not happening with tea mm. you know tea and coffee sit alongside one another 
but arguably tea should be more important in the UK. It's our national drink. Um, why why has the same thing not happened? You know, I've seen this journey that coffee has started and it's clearly going to continue. And as I said, it wasn't uh, an evolution. It was a revolution, you know, just totally incomparably different to how it was only a few years earlier. And so the curiosity got the better of me. And I thought, I, you know, I want, I want to find out. Surely there must be the same sort of opportunity, obviously different, but similar in the world of tea. Um, and at this time, other than buying a few sort of fancy overpriced teas in Camden Market and not really knowing what they were, but <laughs> feeling like I was big and clever because I bought them anyway, I didn't really know very much about the average person on the street. Um, so I went down to the British Library and you can, uh, if you become a member there, you can access all sorts of archive reports and documents and everything. Um, and so I started reading up on all of these industry reports from companies like Mintel who do these yeah. surveys and um, investigate what's happening in various industries. And I'd had before tea, I'd had a couple of other ideas that I sort of started having a look at. And then for a number of different reasons, but I guess probably the predominant one was I just wasn't getting that fire in my belly about yeah. them. And the more I read about what was not happening in the tea industry, the more excited I became and I think people who know me well will probably describe me as a pragmatist. I'm not the sort of person who instantly gets excited about something and says, oh, this is going to be amazing. We have to do this. Um, so I was surprised at myself at how enthusiastically I was responding to what I was considering were opportunities from reading these reports. So I just decided to continue. And at that stage, I was still working full time in national press. Um, I was in a long term relationship, which was um, heading into very troubled waters. Um, and I guess that was also part of the motivation for me to find something to cling to, to that yeah. would allow me to to um, feel that I was moving forward. Mm. And the reports were just really very positive. So I started spending my weekends um, driving around. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous to say this, driving around um, shopping centres, you know, indoor shopping centres. Um, and I'd put together a stupid little questionnaire uh, and I would just stop people who had a takeaway cup of coffee on them because I knew it would be coffee because obviously nobody was buying yeah. tea. And just sort of ask them questions about coffee and about tea and is it anything they'd ever thought of? Um, and again, the response was quite positive to that. Um, so during this period, I should have said I'd already started approaching tea suppliers in the Far East. Um, you know, thank God for the Internet. Uh, There's no way that I would have been able to create this business before the advent of the Internet. 
Well, um, we're seeing that now with COVID, aren't we? That the internet yeah. is such a yeah a, a vital tool. But 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 I digress. Do carry on. <laughs> um, so yeah, there was a, stre- a steady stream of tea arriving from China and India and Sri Lanka, Japan, wherever. Um, and I was trialing and tasting all of this tea and speaking to people in the industry to try and um, benefit from their experience and their ideas. And um, I then decided to, oh, yeah, (laughs) Uh, I think like so many people, and, and interestingly, I've obviously I've listened to your podcast with your previous guests and I've noticed that there seems to be a theme emerging with them also about this imposter syndrome yeah um and it's something I've always struggled with uh this is not this is not just unique to the journey of moving into the into the world of tea it's something that's always been there but I was acutely aware at this point um I really felt exposed as an imposter because I knew that there were people in the tea industry who had learned more in the previous week than they knew collectively and cumulatively. And I felt that I was under pressure because um, I was incredibly inexperienced in this industry. And part of the... Uh, manifestation of the imposter syndrome at that time was you don't even know what you're talking about. You've just read a couple of reports in the British library Mm. and decided T's going to be the new black. Like, you know, you're an idiot. What do you know? Um, So I decided that the next thing I had to do was to go out there and, and see talk to the market and see if I could get any understanding that I wasn't just being mad. This wasn't just my crazy idea in my head. And actually other people did have this latent demand that they probably didn't know existed, but they were interested in the opportunity to drink better tea. So um, I took a market stall and uh, got up at the crack of dawn every Saturday morning and drove to this market and um, it's funny because it was one of the most bitter, miserable winters on record. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so if you can get through that, then it's game on. Yeah, I, I've still got photos of this uh, crappy little um, uh, market, all three feet of snow. Yeah. Uh, you know, the roof was sagging because there was so much snow sitting on the roof. Um but it was character building. I, need, I needed to go through all of these difficult obstacles. And I think that's really important. And that's part of the reason why your show interests me so much, because the premise of what you're doing um, feeds into this idea of uh, um, negotiating fragility and exposing yourself and building resilience and fortitude. And I do worry that we are inching towards a society where people are um, with the best with the best interest at heart, but in my opinion, misguidedly trying to um, stop people from facing difficult situations, you know. Um, 
And so in a strange way, being surrounded by snow and obviously the streets being pretty much deserted because nobody else is mad enough to be out in that yeah. weather. Um, but there were still enough people. Um, obviously it didn't snow every week. <laughs> um, so there, there were enough people there who were, their curiosity was aroused. Um, you know, I was obviously making almost zero money. But it wasn't about but the yeah, money. It, it was more it was just ne- about... This was part of the exercise, right? Yeah, it was almost like uh, consumer research in a yeah. way, you yeah. know, just to and, discover... And were you yeah. still working at this time? Were you still in National yeah. Press? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was still working full-time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was enough encouragement for me to think, let's just keep going and see where this goes. I still hadn't made... So carry on. So, yeah, no, I still hadn't made the decision that I was definitely going to do this, but it was enough of an incentive for me to say, well, let's just carry on and and see where this goes. I was just interested to know, what were people on the street saying? You were coming at at it, I'm presuming, from a more involved perspective around tea. So Hmm. what was your fact-finding revealing to you? Um... The number of people who were uh, shocked at the prices that I was charging for my tea was very small. Really? Yeah, particularly um, when benchmarked against a number of people who they may have decided to not buy, Mm. but it wasn't a case of astonishment like who is this guy why is he charging so much for this tea so there were lots of positive conversations and I got the impression like I said that people were receptive to the idea I knew that you know Rome wasn't built in a day it wasn't going to be a case of everybody who walked past suddenly started buying my tea but it was more about discovering are people open to the idea that tea has been left behind and if it was treated with the same degree of respect and recognition that coffee is enjoying, that in time, and I realised that was going to be, you know, in years, mm. and <laughs> regrettably here I am, what, 12 years later, and there's, there's still lots of people who are uh, a bit resistant to the idea, but I could see that there were enough people who thought similarly to me, like, yeah, actually, that's true. Why mm. is it? that um, I'll go into a cafe or a restaurant with a friend, and if one of us orders coffee, we have what is demonstrably an out-of-home experience. There's a a shiny £10,000 coffee machine on the bar, and everything about the taste and the aroma of this cup of coffee is markedly different to what I can make at home. Yeah. And therefore, I'm prepared to pay extra. Yes, int- I've looked at it. But like then the person that you're with, who orders a cup of tea, gets a crappy little tea bag <laughs> dunked in a mug, and it's almost certainly the same tea bag that you have in your kitchen cupboard at home. Yeah. And either they have the audacity to charge you the same price as a cup of coffee, or probably worse, because they recognise it's such an inferior experience, they charge you half as much. So when those two people leave the restaurant, one of them, the last thing that they took with them, the last experience was this satisfying 
pleasurable moment of having a nice cup of coffee. So they turn to their friend and say, that was lovely, wasn't it? Really enjoyed that. And the, the other person is internally, they're quietly seething because yeah. they know that they've just been given mm-hmm. the rough end of the stick. Um, so that that made me think that maybe I'm not mad. Maybe other people are also aware that there is this enormous disparity between a coffee experience and a tea experience, whatever that may be and wherever that may be. Okay. So people essentially were happy to pay a higher price, a higher yeah. price point for a cup of tea. It must have been interesting. Did you, did you, did people ask, did they say, why is that more expensive? Did you have to go through that scenario where you almost had to sell it to them, yeah. sell the idea, sell the concept? Absolutely. I, I don't think a single person ever just picked it up and paid for it and walked off. Yeah. They all needed to understand why is this one five pounds? Why is this mm. one 10 pounds? Um, but that was part of the attraction to me was you know, passing on this knowledge that I'd recently acquired um, and encouraging people to think differently about tea. Um, And, yeah, I don't don't recall there being a single person who walked past who said, yeah, I get it, I already pay this sort of money for my tea for something else. Yeah. It's a new experience. And, And interestingly, I'm interested to know, which is, I guess, is equally important. At that point, had you refined sort of the taste, sort of the, the the experience? Was that something that you were keen to get feedback on as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I had by this stage started making um, friends, I guess you could call it, <clears throat> excuse me, in the industry. And some of them were sort of helping and assisting me with the choices of the teas. Um, but also there's an awful lot of, um, research. There's an awful lot of opinion out there on the internet about what makes a good cup of tea. And while there are obviously lots of, um, variables that make a good cup of tea, um, I am also of the opinion which is shared by most people in the industry, that tea is a very personal experience. And most people, even if they're not hugely familiar with all of the nuances that go into making a cup of tea so much better, their palate will tell them. So the best thing for me, and this happens so regularly uh, genuinely it's the the best part of what i do is when somebody has my tea for the first time and they can be a tea connoisseur who's been drinking fine tea for 15 years and happily pays as much money for a packet of tea as they would do for a bottle of fine wine or they can be somebody who's been drinking pg tips for their entire life um and when they taste it for the first time you can see in their eyes and then the reaction in words. My favorite is, wow, that's really different. Yeah. Yeah. And I get it. I'm, I'm one of those people. Yeah. 
And a word like different, which colloquially doesn't really have that positive, um, that much positivity attached to it in this context, to me, that means everything because it's about shifting an opinion. It's about changing somebody's perspective. Um, and obviously, when it's tied into the wide eyes, then <laughs> it's better than just hearing the word. Yeah, totally. So when did this become your full time gig? Because obviously you were mm. still in national press and yeah. you were doing this at your weekend. So your yeah. weeks must have been crazy in terms of not having a second to yourself. But obviously you were immersed in this new project that you had. Yeah. But I would say in response to that, and it sort of ties into what I was saying earlier about um, building uh, resilience and fortitude and, and, and character, is even though I was working harder than I ever had done, I was so enthusiastic and excited and motivated that it was easier, more satisfying, yeah. and here's that word again, more nourishing than the previous 13 years because now I was doing something that excited me and you know it's a bit of a lazy cliche but there's obviously truth in it that if you love what you do you don't ever work a day in your life and all this extra time that I was devoting to this possible new venture was just thrilling yeah because having been in that position where I was starved of development starved of learning starved of growing um because i wasn't fulfilled in my um career if you like to have this new toy to play with um was just fantastic i was genuinely excited because i had so much to learn you know every time i heard about a new tea or every time i got a some a different sample of the same tea and had to compare that against other ones um I just think learning is just such a fundamental part of what makes for a happy life. And I just felt I was on this huge learning curve. And rather than being daunted by that, it um, it was giving me that nourishment. It was filling that hole that had been there for so long. So it sounds like it was almost energizing you. Absolutely. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. I was probably more tired. Um doing my five days a week, nine to five job mentally mm. than I was when I was working every single second outside of that on this new project. Yeah. Because as you, as you said, it, it energizes you. That's interesting actually, because the reason I say it's interesting because I'm sure there's, a, there's pe potentially people listen to this that have got ideas <clears throat> in their head that excite them, but it's, being able to take that leap of faith to actually yeah. do it because you know they potentially know deep down this is definitely what i want to do yeah 100 yeah i know that if i can make a go of this this is me this is me all over but it's it's separating ourselves from what is mm -hmm. um nine to five or, or whatever our, our job may be to actually mm. taking that leap of faith. And I, and I guess now is an interesting time for everybody globally because of COVID. 
maybe we can get into that a little bit later but essentially there are some people that may be forced to yeah maybe not forced to but this might be you know hopefully everybody's healthy and whatnot and whatnot but there might be an opportune moment for people to actually really go after that idea that they've had in their heads if they've been made redundant or yeah. if they've lost their job or or even if they, or they just, just feel less secure about that job sorry yeah even if they just feel less secure yeah about the long-term yeah, true, prospects true. of their job um yeah i mean that's why i'm everything that i'm saying i'm sort of trying to shape it in a way that while obviously it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Paul, mm. that we're talking to a whole range of different people, um, yeah. you know, the, the, the listeners of your show, because I'm hoping that, you know, it, it would be lovely if something that I've said resonates with somebody about how rather than be daunted by the prospect mm. of all of this extra responsibility and this extra workload and God, I'm going to be, out of my depth yeah. and I'm not going to know anything and I'm stepping into the unknown and that's fearful, you know, that, that worries me. Um, how can I possibly set up something else while I've still got my full-time work commitment? So everything that I'm saying is to try and yeah. provide people with an alternative perspective to that dilemma because that's not for one minute to, to suggest that it's easy and it's not for one minute to suggest that you don't have to make enormous sacrifices. Um, you know, unfortunately, there were lots of sacrifices that I had to make during this time. Um, I'm not for one minute pretending it's an easy journey, but I hope that people might, from what I've said, recognise that there are perhaps hidden benefits to it all and the obstacles might not necessarily be quite as burdensome or even terrifying as as some people think because um if you're not fulfilled in what you're doing currently or even if as you said because of this current situation you're almost forced into looking at an alternative um it can be an exciting journey and that doesn't mean that the journey doesn't have bumps in the road. Of course yeah. it does. Um, but it's funny cause I, I don't really like cliches, but I'm about to use another one now. Um, they always say that when you're on your deathbed, you don't regret the things you did. You regret the things you didn't do. Mm. Um, and so for people out there who are even tentatively think exploring a new idea, I would I would encourage them to to have that fortitude to to give it a go and explore it. Realise that the journey itself is what makes it exciting. With that in mind, I'm sure there are people that have got because you know when I catch up with friends and whatnot, there's periodically people talk about I've got this idea, I've got that idea, and. But in order for people to execute and start the process, are there, in your opinion, fundamentals that they sh- should exist about what they're going to pursue? Like, I don't know, maybe there's a, an area of interest, a passion point. Just keen to get your opinion around that. 
Yeah, sure. Um, obviously, everybody's different, but I think you're right that almost universally, you have to do something about which you are passionate. Mm. Because, as I said, there are there are sacrifices, and sometimes the sacrifices are large. Yeah. And in order for you to keep going, in order for you to have persistence, you have to love what you're doing. Mm. You have to care. Um, and so whatever is your passion, it would be really helpful if your journey involved one of your passions. Yeah, because I guess that will help us overcome those challenging moments, which clearly, regardless of whatever industry you go into, there's going to be rocky moments and moments where you have to prop yourself back up where where you've either got an email or a phone call or you know something that has gone wrong and yeah. so yeah absolutely um you know it's, it's a strange dichotomy because having a product as opposed to a service clearly makes things much more challenging um in all sorts of different ways but the most obvious just being the logistics of having to manage an inventory rather than a service, you know, you are the product. It's a lot easier. Um, and in many respects, I would encourage people to focus more on a skill, a service rather than a product, because that is without question um, the most difficult side of what I do. I've um, been stupid enough to make that extremely challenging because I have so many different products. Um, you know, if you've only got a handful or a dozen or so, it's probably easier. Um, however, the one thing I would say against that is because I love tea so much, mm. because I'm so passionate about my product, when you do have those dark days and the challenging times, you can look at what it's all about. There's something very tangible, you know. Um, you, I mean, in my case, you can literally sit down <laughs> and have a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you were making a cup of tea when we first started talking. <laughs> yeah. yeah what, it's what, not often that I'm not making what, one. What, what, what were you having? What type of tea? Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I actually made three because I didn't know how long we were going to be talking for. <laughs> three of the same type no 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 so one is um uh green tea from china okay one is um it's, it's not actually a tea it's a herbal infusion okay. um so it's chrysanthemum flower and a beautiful flower called 1000 days red um and then the third one is uh a tea that i actually um I created it myself. It's called Sherlock Holmes tea. And you know that's what? A black Sherlock tea. Holmes tea. That's getting ordered. Can I get that online? Can I? Yeah. Is that available online? Yeah. I'm, I'm ordering that today. <laughs> <laughs> today. I love, I love Sherlock Holmes. So I, I love old films. So I like, um, most people are too young to know this, but Basil Rathbone used to play Sherlock Holmes back in the day. Brilliant. So that's, that's, uh, what is that like though? What's the sort of, 
I'm digressing, yeah. listeners. I, I apologise. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes has thrown me. <laughs> uh, well, it's a pleasure um, to meet a fellow fan of Sherlock Holmes, because yeah. I'll be honest, um, there's a, a range of reasons why I create blend, but the, the simple, honest truth is the reason why I created this one is just because I like Sherlock Holmes. Okay. Um, <laughs> you can, you say, say that's the thing that you don't get in national press. I think you can, this is my agenda today or this week and I can go yeah. after it and then, but it creates that illusion, doesn't it? It creates that perception, you know, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't mind admitting also, obviously part of the reason for creating it was because you're looking to develop an identity. And it's all well and good me saying, I think I have the best English breakfast in the world and I'm happy for it to be compared to anybody else's. But at the end of the day, it is still an English breakfast. Mm. Um, And so part of my brand identity, if you like, is to make things a bit more fun and a bit more interesting. Um, So sorry, the, the Sherlock Holmes blend is in fact actually funny enough that the base for it is that English breakfast gold that I just okay. mentioned. Um, because of course Sherlock is a British icon, you have to start off with English breakfast as the tea. But as you will know, um, famously Sherlock was a pipe smoker. Mm. So there's a little sprinkling of a Chinese smoke tea. Do you get that just yeah, yeah. edge of smokiness yeah. to the tea? <laughs> I get it. Um, and then the final two ingredients are ginkgo and elderflower blossom wow, now the reason i amazing. chose these sorry <laughs> <Sounds amazing>. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, one day i'll make you a cup paul i would definitely send well, I'd, to I'd, have, I'd have sampled it i've drunk i would have sampled it by them <laughs> i'm not sure so the reason for choosing the ginkgo and elderflower blossom yeah. is because some of your listeners may know this they're considered to be brain food because of their amino acid i need plenty problems. of that then <laughs> Yeah. So the idea being that, you know, if you drink lots and lots of cups of Sherlock Holmes, it will make you nice and clever. And then I love that. I love that. I love the level of research that you've put into that. Do you know what I mean? You just haven't branded a tea Sherlock Holmes. You've actually put, you know, there's a lot of thought and ingredients that have gone into that. That's amazing. Yeah, I always want to do that. I don't like the concept of creating a blend without meaning. Uh, I always want it to have um, a particular relevance. So, for example, um, there's a nice little tie back into the British Library, which is, as I said earlier, where I first started researching the tea industry. Um, I'm very happy to say that my tea is served in the members room at the British Library, which is quite a nice uh, circular story. And they asked me to create a special blend for the British Library. Um, And again, rather than just throw a few ingredients in a cup and see what happened, they've all been chosen because the ingredients were particularly relevant to certain famous authors. So there's like a a story behind the blend rather than... You know, this one's just lemon and apple or whatever it might be. That's amazing. So you could be sort of commissioned to make teas for people. Yeah, I, I sometimes make teas for uh, for weddings and that kind of thing. And again, rather than just put something together, I'll speak to the bride and groom and, you know, find out what 
what they would like this blend to represent. You know, how do they want it to um, to reflect on them or the day or whatever it might be? That's amazing. And you know enough about ingredients and so forth where you can bring it to life. <laughs> yeah, there are occasions when I sort of have to politely and diplomatically say that <laughs> sounds lovely on paper, but yeah, trust me, it, it won't work in the cup. You know, we, yeah. we probably want to try something a bit different. <laughs> okay. Okay. So something that I've, I've wanted to ask you. So when you decided, actually, this is my full time gig serious mm-hmm. about this energizes me i'll put in all the effort and whatnot what did your fat so did you get ra- raised eyebrows from your family and friends just because the majority of people do nine to five mm-hmm. so anything that isn't nine to five for them yeah, yeah. represents a red flag yeah and and um, maybe there's a little bit of, of I wish I was brave enough to do that myself. I don't think there was any of the, I wish I was brave enough. Um, although actually that's not true. That, that from, from friends, certainly. Um, I used to hear that all the time. Oh, you're so brave. Mm. Um, and you know, this, this is not false humility. It wasn't brave at all. I had to do this. Um, Lots of people that I was working with at the time in the industry who were really good friends, you know, they weren't just work acquaintances, um, would say this to me all the time. Um, and my response to them was, well, you know, you, you're married with kids and a mortgage. You don't have the luxury of being able to take this risk. Um, you know, I briefly mentioned that I went through a very difficult um personal situation which left me single and without responsibility um and i genuinely recognized that that was a luxury that allowed me the opportunity to take this risk um you know it's it's not brave it's just an option i had that most other people didn't um but on the family side of things um there was a lot of um, not really understanding mm. what I was doing. Uh, you know, you're throwing away um, security and, you know, a career and all that sort of thing. Um, I think there was a lot of, well, not I think, um, I was told that uh, I never thought I'd do it. And, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd lose my nerve and not actually go through with it. Um, I think there was a lot of shock and probably a lot of not really understanding why you're doing this. Um, because I, I wasn't in an environment in which, uh, being an entrepreneur, <clears throat> and I say that with a very small e. You know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to aggrandise or inflate what I did, but to go off and do something on your own, um, I think there was certainly a lot of surprise. Yeah, yeah. 
But but um, I guess that there always will be because I think that's going to be less though actually as years go on, particularly yeah. post COVID, because I think there'll be you know entrepreneurship exists now anyway, and it's becoming more commonplace. Even if yeah. you've got a full time gig, lots of people have side situations mm. which they hope to evolve into a their mainstay so i think that's becoming more common i think if we sit down in five years time and do this it will be even more common i think out of covid there'll be lots of people that will take the ball by the horns and go with whatever project they have that they've yeah. had and there are some people that feel that there's more stability in doing their own thing mm. as opposed to working in a traditional business because of the insecurities that now exist that never used to exist, say five, six years That's ago, right. certainly, certainly in the current process. So, so <clears> in some <throat> respect, you're kind of like ahead of the curve because, you know, I, as long as you pick, I think something you're passionate about, something you care about, I think also something that energizes you. Yeah. yeah. I, I think there has been quite a shift in the last 10 years or so towards more flexible working yeah you know the idea now even if you have a full-time job it might not be monday to friday nine to five Mm. um you know like i know lots of people who ostensibly have a monday to friday nine to five but they might work from home one or two days a week they might take a half day on a wednesday and then make up that time on sunday evening um At the time that I made this decision, the work environment, generally speaking, was much more rigid, but particularly in an environment like National Press, which was quite a rigid environment anyway. And it's my opinion that's part of the reason why it is collapsing, is because it's not um, being dynamic about moving with the times and creating a more flexible and fluid work environment. I think early on in the uh, conversation, I used the word shackled. um, And that was part of the problem was because it was quite a rigid structure. Um, And I think the advantage that people have today is that working conditions are already more flexible, but you're quite right to point out that given the situation we're in currently, I thing that will be one of the benefits to come from this is that people will be encouraged to have a more balanced approach to uh work and social life yeah i hope so yeah i I agree i agree i just think that this trauma that we're all going through i think is i guess it's just my opinion i just think it's made us think a little bit more about a, what's important, because you just never know in life. Mm. You just never know in life what's around a corner. I didn't think that, you know, in two, 2020 and 2020, we'd be talking about COVID. I never even heard of COVID up, up until, you know, three months ago. But now it's, it's, we hear it every, it's, it's the most common word 
that I hear every day yeah. in my life today, COVID or, or coronavirus, I hear that every day. If I turn the radio on or TV and you obviously you can switch it off, but even if you, when you switch it back on three hours later, it'll be a COVID update or a yeah. coronavirus update. And yeah, I just think that definitely there is an opportunity now for people to really engage with their passions because it's a passion of yours potentially it's a passion of a lot of other people's and you can the benefit that we have if we if we engage with it and we're willing to go through the ups and downs we can bring it to life for a lot of people and make it into a pleasurable experience whatever the product or service is as you as you're doing yeah the um, other advantage as well now is we live in such a digitized world that a lot of the prohibitive costs of starting up a business don't have to be taken on board. Um, you know, rent of an office or rent of a storage facility and paying full-time staff. You know, everything has been democratised now to the degree where you can effectively, you could run a business from your spare room or from your bedroom. You can employ marketing people on a project basis where they do a couple of hours mm. here and there if you need somebody to design some packaging for you you can find somebody on the internet the other side of the world who can do it for you you don't need to pay them a fixed salary yeah. and have them working for you full time you can just do it on a project by project basis and i think that's enormously beneficial to people today who are considering their own business because <clears throat> the entry level you you could pretty much start a business with almost nothing now um without the need for all of this investment in uh you know staff and offices and all this kind of thing so i think there's the environment encourages opportunities now those are some interesting insights because there definitely is because I've never, I've not started my own business, so don't have the knowledge that you have. But there is a definitely a perception that exists partially in my head that you have to have all these cogs positioned before you get going. But you mm. just dispelled that or dispelled that by giving me some context and insights, and hopefully people that are listening will have a nice a, a more rounded perspective of what they need just to get going yeah and they actually don't need to employ people full-time like you know the marketeers example you can just get them in in a on a project basis yeah okay so for people listening how would you describe chas t <laughs> um I think the starting point is to take people back to the strap line. That's my philosophy that underpins everything that we do. If tea makes everything better, shouldn't we be drinking better tea? Um, so it is all about the quality of the tea. Um, and of course, you, you have to make business compromises but ultimately, my message is that I'm happy to have my tea 
compared with anyone else's. Um, so that's like the foundation. And then obviously from there, we tried to develop a bit of personality. Um, you know, the strap line itself, while it's obviously telling people our philosophy, it's also quite clearly tongue in cheek as well. It's a bit playful. Um, creating those bespoke blends, trying to do things a bit different. And I think one of the key things for me is I have um, learned that the tea industry is quite parochial. It's still a little bit snobby um, and not especially inclusive. Um, and so we, we want to encourage people to drink good quality tea but make them feel comfortable in doing so so it's not like an exclusive members club you know everybody can come in because um tea genuinely is an affordable luxury you know you can have the best tea in the world and it's still only costing you sort of 10 or 15p for a cup yeah so while everybody can't drive around in a ferrari um, of course, with some exceptions of people who are really struggling, but the, the, the majority of people, quality tea is affordable. Um, and so there's no reason to make it exclusive. Uh, the, you know, the idea is that we want people to recognize that you can have something fantastic, but why not have fun and enjoy it while you're having it? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we like to, well, I think one of the important things is that um, approximately one in three of my teas are also available in a tea bag format. Um, so, you know, we're trying to break down these barriers of I think a lot of people think, well, if it's fine tea, it must be served in a china cup on a paper doily. Um, and, you know, you've got to understand whether or not your scone has cream first and then jam or jam first and then cream i'm not interested in any of that i'm much more interested in just getting people to try something either a much better tea than the one that they've been used to or to try something different and new that they've never had before um and yeah just encourage people to recognize that it's you know, I mentioned to you, uh, I think it was just before we started the conversation, that the quality of the tea means that you can use the same leaves again. Yeah, I didn't know so that. that makes it, yeah, so that makes it even more affordable. So if I'm selling you a cup of tea for 15p, it's actually really only costing you 7.5p if you have two cups. Um, and with many of my teas, you can use them more than two times so you could bring that down to 5p a cup yeah, that's incredible um yeah and, that, and that's because of the the quality of the tea itself so it's better quality but it often actually ends up costing you less for each cup of tea than it would do if you were just buying uh the muck if you pardon me saying it that's available on the yeah. shelf in the supermarket yeah maybe you might have answered some of this but i was keen to ask i've written it down What's your vision for Chaz Tea in the future? <laughs> a biting question. <laughs> um, well, obviously, the answer that I would have given you in March 
is very different to the answer that I can give you now. Yeah. Um, because without wanting to sound too dramatic, our world has been tipped upside down. Hmm. Um, before this Like most situation, people, I guess, because of COVID, yeah. it's, it's traumatised virtually. No sector has been left unaffected, but I digress. I just wanted to caveat that in. Mm. Oh, yes. No, I'm, I'm, this is not a woe be me story. Mm. I'm, I'm well aware that there are, you know, tens of thousands, if not millions of companies that are all struggling similarly, and yeah. some will be in a worse position than I am. Mm. Um, but because we were in the hospitality sector and because supplying to trade was the main focus of our business. So you can, you know, you mentioned earlier about going on my website and buying some Sherlock yeah. Holmes tea for your yeah. kitchen cupboard. You can do that. But up until March, that wasn't the focus of the business. So overnight, I lost 94% of my revenue. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, so we're having to adapt and be flexible and look at new ideas and try and develop new routes to market. So it won't surprise you to say that my uh, focus now is um, much more considerate of those retail opportunities. Yeah. So I, I need to encourage much more people to to buy my tea at home, not only because my current clients are closed, but also because as and when they open, they will obviously open under very different circumstances and, and won't be at the level they were previously. Um, and also, just before this happened, I had spent the last 18 months building up to and was very close to signing an agreement to open up what I would ho was hoping was going to be the first T-bar. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I literally had um, options on the table for sites and I was looking at which one yeah. to open. Um, and going back to what I said earlier about some people being in a much more difficult situation than I am, we had three opportunities that fell through. And obviously at the time that was really disappointing and I looked at yeah. looked upon it as a setback. But I'm sure there will be companies out there who had those three opportunities in late 2019, early 2020 and went ahead with one of them. And they'll be in a much more difficult situation than I am mm -hmm. because they would have had a very recently open venue that's now shut um so i'm still at that stage where i'm trying to decide whether or not to continue with the idea of opening up a t-bar and if so to what extent does that business model need to change so last week i went through all of the financials that i'd prepared for the venture and obviously had to rewrite them from top to bottom because none of those numbers make sense now yeah. um and of course those numbers change the viability and the shape 
of the original proposition. So uh, this is not at all to be disingenuous or, or to not answer your question, but the truth is that today I still haven't decided whether or not we can go ahead with that. I hope that we can. Um, so you never know, sometime most likely now in early 2021, you know, I hopefully will be able to sit down and have a couple of Sherlock Holmes tea together in a chash love, tea. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> like literally on your order book today, you'll see an, you'll see an order from Paul Padmore for Sherlock Holmes tea. <laughs> I just I'll, I'll you know what, I like the, the idea and the the ingredients and stuff you put into it. I I before you talk before you explained what you'd put in there in terms of the ingredients and whatnot. I just love the name, mm-hmm. so I was sold on that alone. But I'm sold on <laughs> concepts now. But but on a serious note, I totally get where you're at in terms of having to reshape or just I guess wait a little bit because of which everything is for everybody is a little bit uncertain in terms of the exact direction or route to market because of we're just waiting to know what post-COVID looks like in terms of activity and whatnot. And we all want it to get back to, to normality because we want everyone to flourish in whatever they do. And yeah, we just, I guess time will dictate that somewhat. Mm. dictate that somewhat so sort of getting towards the end now um there's a this is a a reoccurring question i always like to know if you could have three inspirational people for dinner Mm. and obviously have a nice cup of tea who is who who, who would dan invite along (laughs) um I honestly, genuinely hadn't thought about the prospect of having tea with these people because you you did give me some advance warning that I would be asked this question. So I've had time to think about it. Somebody Um, recently said, "Uh I don't know. Who would you invite? I don't know. I asked asked the questions around here. Please don't do that to me. Um, yeah, I gave quite a bit of thought to this because there's so many people that I would love to sit down and spend an afternoon listening, or sorry, an evening listening to. Um, numbers one and two were very easy. My two favourite people of all time. This does include people who are sadly no longer with us, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my my top two by some distance are uh, Christopher Hitchens and Thomas Sowell. And then the third person, I had a bit of a dilemma here. There were so many people to choose from. Um, I'm a big fan of cosmology and astronomy, and uh, it's a subject about which I, you know, my my knowledge is not great. I'm I'm not. Mm. Uh, clever enough to understand it at all and so this dinner would be a great opportunity to learn to have an expert along um 
And part of the reason why I'm such a great big fan of uh, Christopher Hitchens and Thomas Sowell is because I really warm to people who are funny and charismatic um, and supremely intelligent, um, but just great to listen to. You know, I, I just imagine um, I, during the course of this dinner, I, I don't think I'd say a single word. I'd just sit and listen and it would be amazing. Now, because you've got these two sort of titanic personalities, the third person would equally need to be personality. Um, so my third choice would be Neil deGrasse Tyson. Do you know him? No, not, no, never heard of him. No, oh, he's brilliant. You've got to look him up. Um, so he's an astrophysicist. Tyson. Yeah. What's yeah. His, what's his uh, background? So he's an astrophysicist, but he's just got a really strong personality to go with it. So, because I was thinking that if I chose somebody else like Carl Sagan, <laughs> they yeah. might not get a word in edgeways. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so you need another robust personality. Um, so, yeah, if I could have the three of them. That would be, and in fact, actually, you're right. I, w- I would just make the tea. I wouldn't say a thing. Yeah. I, I'd just make the tea and listen to them chat. It'd be amazing. And it'd be interesting to give them the full roster of tea options and see yeah. what they went for. That'd be yeah, quite interesting. Yeah, yeah that would be quite interesting. And maybe at the end of it, you could, based on their choices, and maybe you could get a little feedback sheet <laughs> back together. You could, you could, you could base make a cup of tea make a cup of tea based on that dinner experience and send it to them. This is what, we, this is what I got from our dinner. Oh my God, that Paul, that'd be absolutely amazing. There you go. They would love it. They would love it. I'm going to have to get you to come in and be the marketing coordinator for my tea bar. Yeah. 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 I'd, lo- I'd love to do that. As long as I get to drink copious amounts of Sherlock. <laughs> I'll t- bring my holder along. So. You won't see the holdall, but when I leave, they'll be it'll be stacked with Sherlock Holmes tea. <laughs> and I guess we're getting towards the end now. So mm-hmm. for people listening, for for the listeners, where can they find you and Chash Tea? Where can they go and purchase Sherlock Holmes or breakfast tea or whatever yeah. it may be? Um, well, it's nice and easy. The website is Chash Tea, which is C-H-A-S-H-T-E-A dotco.uk perfect and i'll put that on the uh, show notes and the best way to get tea from you now is online pending 2021 when there might be little coffee shops somewhere that's right i mean there's a there's a wide range of theaters and restaurants and cafes and hotels and so forth that serve my tea but as i said regrettably you know they're not open at the moment Yeah. yeah And I guess, again, via your website, if people do want to be kept up to speed, I'm sure latest developments and whatnot will be carried on your website. Yeah, and they can also follow us on um, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And again, it's just Chash Tea, written all as one word, C-H-A-S-H-T-E-A. Perfect. And what I'll do, all that will be on the show notes, so... You don't have to, if you don't want to listen, I'll put it on the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> they might get bored of my voice by now. And th- th- this is my last question. My last question is for, for those people listening now that just need that final nudge mm. to 
start their own venture what in in short what would you say to those guys i really think that it's about taking the plunge you know i i really do empathize with people who are uncertain who might feel a bit nervous and worry that it's not for them or it's too great a risk um you know i'd like to think i would be understanding of people who felt that way anyway but particularly given that i've been through that experience myself um i think as with so many things in life if and when you do them you realize they weren't as daunting as you feared yeah. And sometimes the greatest fear is fear itself. It's not actually what you're going to do. It's just the worry about what you're going to do. Yeah. Um, and I would just encourage people to follow their path. So if somebody else says you can't do it or somebody else says, I don't think you should do it, or even your own little voice inside your head, says I don't think you can do it um you know listen to other people take on board what hopefully is constructive advice but ultimately you need to follow your own path and if you think it's what you want to do go and do it because the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work out yeah and if it doesn't work out yeah but at least you can say, I gave it a go and I tried. Um, you know, going back to what I said earlier about being on your deathbed and worrying more about things you didn't do rather than yeah. things you did do. Um, you know, just give it a shot. And I really would encourage people, as you pointed out a couple of times during our conversation, now is the time to do it. Yeah. You know, it really is the... Uh, um, the playing field is almost asking you to in a way. And I don't think there will be a better time for people to take that jump and just go for it. Um, And, you know, I'd be happy if anyone wants to contact me, if they've got any questions or they want to talk about something, I'd be more than happy to have a chat with them and listen but I'm sure they'll be able to find lots of other people as well, you know, both within their network and community, but also online, you know, go on to LinkedIn or find a local business group. There will be a group in your area of business people who get together and they'll all be small business owners and they'll all share problems, troubles, successes, advice. So reach out to your community and also try and find new communities that will be able to give you advice and support and guidance. And good luck. <laughs> Enjoy the journey. Do you know what? That's the most important thing. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And whilst you were talking, something that resonated with, resonated with me even is Phil Knight's book, Shoe Dog, which... Oh, I don't know that. What's that called? It's um, 
Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Shoe Dog. Who's the um, founder of Nike. Brilliant book. And it just charts his crazy idea right. of Nike. So his, so when he first got into the idea, kind of similar journey to yours, really, doing working, I think, as an accountant at PwC, I think that's part of his certainly career right. journey and thinking, well, you know what, I'm not really feeling this and then start yeah. getting involved in the trainer world as a as a sort of a side project that became a main project end up leaving and it's just you know his journey to get to where he is today what he had to go through is phenomenal and challenging but yeah. phenomenal but i guess what underpinned it was his passion for trainers yeah and also this you know the i guess the more he gave the more it just he you know his commitment was total and it was there mm. and at never at no point did he really veer away from that even in the most challenging of circumstances so that will resonate resonated with it was it's a great read I yeah think you'll love it and hopefully the listeners will love it and yeah hopefully Phil Knight will send me a nice pair of Nikes <laughs> a nice pair a nice pair of Air Jordans I don't have any Phil so if you want to send some across I'd be I'd be very happy what, what to, size to, are you you know you might get two more copies sold maybe <laughs> or downloaded <laughs> So Dan, thank you so much. It's thank been you. an absolute cool. pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Uh, I can't wait for this to go out and for people to enjoy. But thank you so much, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed. So you can find me at www.myperfectfailure.com. Twitter is failure underscore perfect. Insta is padsmpf, and reviews are always welcome. So please feel free to leave a review. And please look out for the next episode of My Perfect Failure. And until the next time, take care, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to My Perfect Failure podcast. Be sure to visit www.myperfectfailure.com to join the conversation. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Look out for our next episode.